All right. Um, first off, I want to say that uh, I'm so happy to be with you guys again, to worship together again. <clears throat> One of my favorite things to do is to worship together with uh, Emmaus, actually. Um, this room is actually very special to me um, because um, in this very room where you're sitting right now, a lot of people have encountered God. A lot of people have received a lot of deep healing, a lot of cool stuff that God's been doing in this room, right? And uh, actually, I want to introduce our brother Stephen right here with the nice aviator hipster glasses right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, Stephen is joining us today, and he is also an Emmaus student. He's been here for how many years? Four years, right? He's been here for four years. And, um, and uh, he's taking a break right now. And so, but tonight he wanted to join us to worship together. Welcome, Stephen. Yeah. Stevie, you want to give a word? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So, today's going to be a little different, actually. Um, in Hawaii, right, I have some Hawaiian friends. And this past summer, uh, I got together with some of my friends. And in their culture, there is this, there is this phrase called hola hola. Everyone say hola hola. Hola, hola. Who's been to Hawaii before? No, nobody's been to Hawaii here? Emily. All right. Hola, hola. And in, in the culture in Hawaii, um, this term hola, hola, what it means is <coughs> story time. Right? So in Hawaii, a lot, of, a lot of times, families and friends get together and say, hey, let's do hola, hola time. And they do a bonfire. And then um, <coughs> they just share stories with each other. Right, and one of my favorite, most powerful things that I did um, this past summer was get together with a lot of my close friends, and he was like, "Hey, yo, let's hola hola." I'm like, "Let's do this hola hola, right?" So we get together, and we just start sharing all these stories with each other, just uh, specifically what God has been doing in our lives, right? And <clears throat> today is gonna be um, a little less preaching, but a lot of story time. Is that okay? Is that okay with you guys? I'll share some stories. Um, today, I'm actually not going to be sharing the story of how I um, met the Lord and became a Christian. Uh, I will save that for another time. But <clears throat> today, I'm going to share something that I've actually never shared before at Emmaus about my life. And never even shared even at back at my church here at New Philadelphia Church. So this is the very first time that I'm actually going to be sharing this. And it's actually, um, I've actually shared this many times when I got invited to speak in the U.S. and in different churches, churches and stuff like that. Um, and it's one of my favorite things to share. So I hope you guys are excited. Um, I'm actually going to be sharing my life, my journey, in the time spent in uh, Gambia. All right? And uh, for those who are a little bit confused, um, I've been living in Korea for the past four years because I did grad school here at a school called Torch Trinity. And I, last year, I finished my Master's of Divinity. So I finished seminary. But <clears throat> before that, I was actually living in a really, really small country called Gambia. Everyone say Gambia. Gambia. I was living there for a year and a half. Um, as a missionary, right? And um, does anyone know where Gambia is? Raise your hand if you know what Gambia is, right? Not a lot of people know because Gambia is like, like the third or first, fourth smallest country in all of Africa, right? And so, 
Um, can we actually uh, get these lights off? Because I think it's going to help seeing the visuals, right? And so, <clears throat> before going on in my time in Gambia, um, what ended up happening was... Um, hold on a second. Does that come off? It's going to be the last one. It's going to be the last one, watch. Three, two, one, boom. Oh, there you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right. So, you guys can see it better, right? That's uh, the beach in Gambia, right? But, uh... <laughs> Okay. Anyways, let's just let's just move on. Sorry. Um, actually, when I became a Christian is when I was 15 years old. Right. Long story short, um, I got into a lot of drugs and a lot of uh, gang activity. And when I was 15 years old, I can share in detail another time. But I went to um, juvenile detention center, which is prison for under age 18. I stayed there for two months, and that's where I encountered the love of Jesus through my father. Right? And then when I got out of juvenile detention center, I lost all my friends because uh, uh, I couldn't live that lifestyle anymore because I was walking with the Lord now. Um, and so what ended up happening was Jesus was, at that point, my savior. Everyone say, Jesus is my savior. Amen, Anika. <laughs> but it wasn't until I was 20 years old, actually 19 years old, when I was a sophomore second year in college, university. Who's a second year in university here? Raise your hand. Right? Second year in university. Yeah, Diane. On the second year of university, uh, I went to this retreat. <clears throat> and at this retreat, this man, he preached a powerful message uh, talking about how much is Jesus worth it to you. He preached this message and said, do you know how much you are worth to Jesus? And he said, and he said, if you were to have a price tag on you, a price tag, how much would it say? And he, would, he was saying how a lot of you think that you're not worth much because of your mistakes and sins and all that stuff. But he was saying how if there was a price tag on you, the price tag would say the blood of Jesus. You and I are worth and valued as much as the sun is valued. And that hit me like a train in my heart. I was like, what? Because like, I struggled a lot with like condemnation and shame. So I was like, man, I'm, it really hit me. I started crying. I'm worth that much to you, God? You know? And then he asked, but how much is Jesus worth to you? How much is Jesus worth to you? Because if he's willing to pay that much for you and I to maybe love him, <clears throat> how much is Jesus worth to us? Because we sing all the time, you are worthy, you are worthy, you are worthy. And in that time, I started thinking to myself, wait, how much is Jesus worth to me? Is he worth a song, singing a song for? 
Is he worth following? Right? Is he worth dying for? Is he worth uh, our family members dying for? Because the reality is this. There are people all around the world that actually believe that Jesus is that worth it to them. And I was so convicted. I was praying. And then I heard the voice of Jesus in my heart. Still small voice. And that voice was saying, Jesus, I mean, I mean, John. <laughs> that voice was saying, John, when will you call me Lord? When will you call me Lord? And that's when it hit me. When I believed in Jesus when I was 15 years old, when he radically encountered me and saved me from, you know, the pit of hell and death, right? Jesus was my savior. But it wasn't until sophomore year, my second year in college, where I finally made that decision where Jesus, you are my Lord, my King. And that's something that you and I have to differentiate. There's a difference of whether Jesus is only our Savior or our Lord. Lordship, everyone say Lordship. It means this, very simply. It means God, anytime, anywhere, anything, yes, Lord. That's Lordship. God, anytime, anything, anywhere, yes, Lord. I give you my life. That's Lordship. And that's something, if you... If you have grown up in the church here, just because you're a Christian and you grew up in the church doesn't mean that Jesus is your Lord. Because, for all we know, we could just be calling Jesus our Savior. And you know what that means? It means this. Jesus, you can save me. You can lay down your life for me. You can shed your blood and go through pain and torture for me. You can redeem me. You can save me from hell for eternity. Yeah, you're my savior. I believe in you. Right? But, did you know that you can do that, but at the same time, not give your life fully to the Lord? Lord. I read a quote <clears throat> by this woman named Cory Tenboom. You know what she said? Oh man, this quote. I'm scared to say this quote because it is convicting. <laughs> she said this Is Jesus your steering wheel or is he your spare tire? Right? Think about that. So, is Jesus your steering wheel? He directs your life. He's the Lord of your life. Or is he your flat tire? As in, we only need him in case of emergency. Right? Because many times, if Jesus is only our Savior, then we'll only go to him when things suck. And our worship to him is very limited based on what our circumstances are like. Isn't it true? <clears throat> 
But if Jesus is our Lord, if he's worth dying for, if he's worth following, if he's worth actually obeying and, and actually believing what the Bible says, obeying the commandments that he's given us, anytime, anywhere, anything, Lord, then our worship will not be conditional. Amen? Now, I got some serious faces in here staring at me like, I feel bad. <laughs> right? But here's the good news. And here's the thing that I really want you and I to understand, all right? When it comes to lordship, lordship can either be liberating and freeing, or it could be slavery. Lordship can be liberating and freeing, or it can be slavery, depending on how you see God. Because so many people in the church, and this was me a long time ago too, so many people in the church, he said, Oh, Lord. I surrender my life. I sacrifice my life. Here's my life, Lord. And they're so depressed about it. As if God doesn't have a good life for them. A better life for them. So their view of God is he's not that good. He's just a slave master telling me what to do. And I can't enjoy the things that I want to do. But is that really God? I'm not convinced that's God. Because the God that I worship and that I follow, when I say, yes, Lord, be my master, be my king, he's a benevolent king. He's a good king. Amen? <clears throat> a really fun story I like from the Bible in the book of Deuteronomy. Way back in the day, way back in the day, <clears throat> when we think slavery, right, do we think positive or negative? Come on, work with me here, right? Who do you think, positive or negative? Negative, negative right? <clears throat> it's not a trick question. But back in the day, in Old Testament biblical times, there were actually two kinds of slaves. The slaves in Egypt, that was negative. But there's actually a good kind of slavery. Did you know that? It's called servitude, bond servant. Everyone say bond servant. So there's a story in the... In, culture back in the day in biblical times what would happen is as a bond servant you kind of owe something to your master so for seven years or based on however the contract is you would serve the master you would serve the master and then when those seven years are up the master says you can go you're free you are free you are no longer under me i'm no longer your lord anymore you can go but check this out. Oh, in Deuteronomy, what happens is the servant, he says, I am free to go. But it's better for me to voluntarily still stay with you and serve you. He was free to go. You and I, we're free to do anything, you know? We have choices that we can make. But <laughs> this bond servant, he said this, it's better for me to be under you, to follow you. So what, what happened is that master would get an earring and would pierce his ear as a mark of ownership forever. That's what 
earrings were for, you know, <laughs> like in a good way. Right? <laughs> if you want, if you guys want to say tonight, just say, Lord, I want to give you my life as my Lord. I'm going to go get my ears pierced, <laughs> right? <laughs> Be my guest, all right? Be my guest. Um, no offense to those who have earrings, right? I'm not, I'm not saying that, right? But isn't that amazing? Do you not see the relational love in that? The trust in that? My friend told me that the greatest freedom is when we shackle ourselves to our good king. Surrender is not slavery. Surrender and lordship is an invitation. Everyone say invitation. Lordship is an invitation to journey with God. Lordship is an invitation to experience crazy things with God. And when I started hearing this, I went to the front, the altar call, and said, Lord, I give you my life. I, I've, I know you're my savior. I know you saved me. You've given your life for me. I want to give my life for you. You are my Lord. And I stood there for a long time. I said, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my king. Pierce my ear, spiritually, right? <laughs> I've never got my ears pierced. Well, I have. <laughs> and that day, um, God was speaking to me. Will you go to the nations for me? There are people all over the world who have never heard the gospel, ever. Who will go? And I said, anytime, anywhere, anything. Yes, Lord. That's how my journey began as a missionary. And from then on, I started going to Dominican Republic, all these places, inner cities in the U.S. And I went to Gambia, long story short, five times. And it was the fifth time where uh, I, I went for a year and a half. Now, Gambia, it is a 95% Islamic country. It's a 95% Muslim country. <clears throat> and when I went, what I did was um, I went with Korean missionaries there. So I went alone. But any country you go to, there's going to be Korean missionaries somewhere, okay? <laughs> All right? Um, some of you guys know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> so I went to Gambia, and then there's this like 60-something-year-old couple, very old couple, and they've been there for like 20 years. They've been there 20, 20 years. And I went to their orphanage, their orphanage. And this orphanage compound had about 70 people living there. But check this out. Half of them are real orphans without a mother or a father. But half of them are people that if you're a Muslim and you encounter Jesus and you make a choice to want to follow Jesus, you know what happens 100% of the time? You get disowned from your family. Disowned from your family. And so half the people at that orphanage, they're spiritually orphaned, where they got disowned, kicked out of their families, and then we take them in, and we do life together. People my age, too. And this is what I did. But here's the thing. When I say, yes, Lord, anything, anywhere, what was it? 
Anytime. <laughs> yes, Lord. Guess what? I had no idea where. I had no idea when. I didn't know anything. But I said, Lord, you're the author of my life. You're going to open doors for me. So it was these doors that opened through the churches I went through. There's an opportunity. So I went. Opportunities. You, you grab hold of it. Tell, show God how serious you are. Right? And then I went. <clears throat> and so when I went on the plane all the way to Gambia, I was so nervous. So scared. Because I had no idea what I was going to do. I don't know what I had. I had nothing to offer. I've never preached a message before. before that. And I, I don't know. I didn't know what to do. How many of you guys feel like that sometimes? You have a project or, a, or, a, or an opportunity for you. You say, yes, Lord, but you have no idea what you're going to do. But you still say, yes, Lord. Let me show you guys what happened when I said, yes, Lord. You guys ready? Let me show you guys a little bit of background, all right? So when I went, this is the mission. Whoa. <laughs> I think the projector is kind of jacked up, all right? Projector is kind of jacked up. So here he is, missionary Han, right? He has a crucial beard. I used to have my head shaved, right? <clears throat> I used to have my head shaved. And um, there he is. Uh, and then I made this really ghetto, uh, <laughs> I made this <laughs> really ghetto uh, picture of the compound I stayed at. So the mission organization I stayed with was called WAM, West Africa Mission, right? And here, when you enter right there, what happens is um, um, the uh, boys' dorm is down the corner, the girls' dorm is up there, missionary house, guest houses, the church, primary school, nursery school, and right there, I call the I like to call the fire hut, right? Worship hut. There we worshipped every morning and every evening. Every morning and every evening for two hours. And and what they do is when they worship, they they uh they dance like crazy, you know? They dance like crazy. <laughs> I'm trying to show you the style they dance, but I'm, I'm, I'm shy. <laughs> so that's where we stayed. And here are the Hans with their family. And, um, you know, I said, I hope my wife will trust me like this. Because every, every month she would let him uh, cut, it, cut uh, her hair. <laughs> because they have no other place to go, right? <laughs> and so, um, you know, I hope my wife trusts me like this, right? Um, and here's a little, uh, some pictures about um, the dorm life, all right? Now, in the dorm, it's really ghetto. The beds are like sponge beds, right? And the thing is, these little kids, they're about four years old. And what happens is they're given two to a bed. But they play with each other and love each other so much that every night I go over and they're all sleeping on the same bed. <laughs> so cute, so cute. Right? And then this is Pastor Han trying to work. But like, he's a father to like hundreds, hundreds in Gambia. And like, they just want to play with him. He's just trying to work. And then, like, uh, it's really cute. It's really cute to see, right? And then, and then this one, um, these are the kids. They're about uh, six, seven. Uh, these are the kids that I kind of uh, took care of and did life with and tried to do Bible study with, even though, like, I didn't know their language, right? And um, <clears throat> really fun, but really difficult, all right? Let me take a sip of water real quick. So, um, one of the hardest things that I had to go through there was uh, I, I got malaria, right? How many times, who, who has experienced malaria before? Raise your hand. It sucks, right? It sucks. 
The first time I got it was three weeks after I arrived to Gambia. Right? I got, <clears throat> I got malaria, and it's supposed to take normally around two weeks for it to fully heal. And I was, I was dying. Like, I had, like, my ears were ringing, sweating, vomiting, diarrhea, sometimes same time. Like, all my joints are pulsing and heating. It's like, it's like high fever all the time. And it got to the point where it was not like, Lord, Lord, save me. It was more like, Lord, let me die right now because <laughs> it sucks so bad, right? But um, I remember what happened was uh, I was laying there. And all of a sudden, you know who comes into my room? Like some of the orphan children, right? They're like four or five years old. Like 10 of them came into my room. And I'm just like looking at them like, you know? And they all lay hands on me. And they start praying like crazy out loud. For like 10, 15 straight minutes. Like they're like crying out for me. I'm crying because I'm like, what's going on right now? Like they're praying for me, you know? I fall asleep, I wake up the next day, guess what happens? 100% healed. 100% okay. God hears the faith of these children. And I I was so shocked. And then that evening worship service, uh, when we went, every evening service there, there's this thing called testimony time. There's an open space where anybody's allowed to come up and share testimony it's so cute like little like six-year-old kids will come like uh i just want to share that uh god is really good and then he sits down and everyone cheers like crazy right but i had to go up there and testify and i was like and i just started crying i started crying like god healed me through these children and everyone's like cheering like crazy but it was very personal to me you know why because uh it was my birthday that day (laughs) So God was like, welcome to the Gambia. <laughs> Birthday present, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so after that, this 11-year-old girl named Lydia, right? Um, it's British. It was a British colony, so they kind of speak English. Yeah. And then uh, what happened was they gave, this girl comes to me and gives me this paper. And then she, this, she gives me this. He says, this 11-year-old girl. He says, Jeremiah 1.5. He said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born. I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. John, Jesus, love you. Do not cry. If, if see you cry, I cry. I love you, John Park. Right? And then I went to my room. I was crying. I was like, Lord, Lord, this is crazy. This is crazy. Right? That was my welcome to Africa. Right? Um... Again, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I hung on to this promise. I hung on to this quote uh, that said, um, uh, God, uses me, God uses us uh, not because of our gifting and skills, but God uses us. Uh, he, what was it? He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. He just are look, he's just looking for people that are obedient. Lordship. I say that again. He doesn't call the equipped, the ready, but he, he equips the called. Right? I was holding on to that promise. And I said, what am I going to do there? So I get there, and the preacher, the, the Pastor Han, he goes, hey, I've been really tired. Um, do you think you can preach only four times a week? I was like, <laughs> I, was like I, never, never, I never preached in my life. Right? Like, 
are you serious? She's like, yeah, I just need help. I've been so tired. I've been doing it for 22 years. I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, I'll do it. I'll do it. So my first thing that God had out for me was preach four times a week. And let me tell you right now that I was very sincere in wanting to preach. But if I were to go back to my notes and look at that, now that I finished seminary, I'm like, man, I probably preached some weird stuff, out of context stuff. Like I was just like, oh my goodness, like what am I doing, right? But through that time, by God's grace, for a year and a half, I preached four times a week, all throughout the time. And that's when God was setting me, setting me up and preparing me uh, uh, to be a speaker. Right? That's part of the reason why actually I'm here right now at Emmaus, because I can hold the mic and I'm not afraid or anything because of that training. Right? That's how God works. So that was the first thing. All right, that was the first thing. Um, and then I had to do ninth grade discipleship. Right? Ninth grade. This is first year in high school. But the problem is... Uh, they don't know how to read that well, where I was. So I had to kind of teach English and discipleship, right? So um, I miss them so much. I miss them so much. We trade it off. They teach me soccer or football, and I teach them Bible, right? But then uh, the thing is, what's amazing is they were so committed. They came out to every single one hungry, but I wasn't so committed. I didn't go out for football practice. <laughs> I, I just stopped, <laughs> right? But um, the next story is it cool? Is it good? Yeah? You guys are getting blessed? One of my favorite stories that happened was this. When I said, God, what am I going to do here? One day, a lot of our uh, orphanage children, they're about like 10, 11 years old, they come to our compound. They're all crying. They're all crying. Then like, hey, what's going on? Like, why, like, why are you crying? And then he said, uh, the teacher at school, they hit me with a bat on my head. All of us. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, teacher hitting you with a bat? And he said, yeah, the ustat hit me. The ustat hits me. And ustat, do you guys know what ustat is? It's actually a Quranic teacher. Teacher of the Quran. So at every public school in the Gambia, they have a portion, an hour a day, where um, students have to recite the Quran, which is the Muslim Bible, right? And so what happened was, at each school, they actually are supposed to have a class where all the Christians and Catholics go during that time. But at that time, the kids, they were saying, they were not doing it. Because they're Christians. They're not doing the reciting. So they just, he, just, he just beat them, and they ran home. So me and the missionary, we went to that school, and we were like, hey, like, you can't hit our kids like that. Why are you hitting our kids like that? They have the option to not recite the Quran. And he's like, okay, I'm sorry, sorry. We won't do it again. Next day, same kids come running. They're crying. And they got beat. So me and the missionary, we go. And we're angry. We're like, what are you doing? And then you know what the headmaster, the principal said? He said, it's because um, during that time, these kids, they're supposed to go to the Christian class, but there's no Christian teacher. So we don't want to just let them free. They have to sit in our Quran class. They have to recite. There's no Christian teacher. You know why? Because Christians teachers, they don't get paid at that time. But the Muslim teachers do. And then he was like, the headmaster was like, yeah, if we have a Christian teacher, then, then yeah, they can go there. On the spot, missionary Han, we're sitting there. He goes, John, can you do it? 
<laughs> John, can you do it? And then I'm like, here's a situation where all my little brothers and sisters, they're getting beat for their faith. How can I not say, how can I say no, right? So guess what I do? Lordship. Yes, Lord. <laughs> Boom, right? Boom. So this, is my, this was my classroom that I taught, right? They actually gave us the worst conditioned classroom. All the other classrooms at least had a chalkboard, but they said bring your own, right? And because we're, we're Christians. And you know what? It was really hard, really hard because this school had like hundreds and hundreds of kids. Every time I walked through school, like, like every single little kid to like middle schooler, guess what they would do? Ching chong, ching chong, Whoa, ching chong, ching chong, right, right? And I'd be like, I'm representing Christ here, like. And then some of them, they'd be like, Whoa, they'd be like, and like every single day, I walk to the end of the end of the school because that's where my classroom was, and I'm just hearing it. I'm like, ah, oh, assalamualaikum, hello, hello, you know, every day. And but the worst part of it was um, because I was a foreigner. Because I was a foreigner, um, like, every time I would teach the class, which is only an hour a day, because, like, just for that portion, <clears throat> um, people would throw rocks like crazy in the class. And they would hit our students. And, like, it was pretty bad, right? And it was so surreal for me because I've never been in that kind of, like, environment before for being a Christian, even for, like, little kids, right? And so, um, so I said to myself, God, here I am. What am I going to teach these kids who barely know English? So, natural thing is I taught them English. I taught them the alphabet. I teach them pronunciation, how to say these things. Because it's a Bible class, I have to teach something like related to the Bible, right? So what I taught was I taught Genesis to Revelations. Like, not, not like, like, like the names, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? You know what's crazy? These kids are so bright, so amazing. By the end of three months, they memorized Genesis to Revelations. Like, they, I was just like, hey, what are the books of the Bible? They're like, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First Samuel, Second Samuel. You know, they would do that, right? And then, like, me and the kids, we would play games. We're like, we would all come back at home at night after school uh, to the compound. And they go up to, like, the 25, 26, 27-year-old, like, uh, people living there. And they, they go, hey, do you know the Bible? <laughs> And then he's like, you know, they're like, what are you talking about? And they're like, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then, and then like, and then I go up to the, the older ones. I'm like, your turn. <laughs> and then like, it was just, I just had a really, really fun time. Right? So here are my, here are my class. Right? Here's my class. Uh, you can't really see that well because the projector. And these are the ustats. Right? Are you guys ready for this crazy story? Right? One day, um, one day, I was teaching in my class, and then all of a sudden, uh, this one kid comes running in my class. John, John, come, come. I'm like, what's going on, right? So I run out of the classroom. I go outside, and there's this kid named Manuel. His name is Manuel. And then he's, he's, he's laying down, and he's shaking like crazy, and he's like throwing fists. He's like, ah, right? He's demon-possessed. Just like it says in the Bible. He's demon possessed. I'm like, whoa. I haven't seen that before. <laughs> and then so 
I don't know what to do. I haven't been trained in this kind of stuff, right? So, like, everyone's, like, running away because they're scared. So I go up to Manuel, like, can I, can I pray? And they're like, yeah. I lay my hands on him, and I'm like, I'm, like, scared, honestly. But I'm like, in Jesus' name, I cast you out. In Jesus' name, I cast you out. I command you to leave this body in the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, he just lays still, and then he opens his eyes, and he gets, he's like, what happened? And then I'm like, oh, it worked. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Inside, I was like, oh, it worked. But outside, I was like, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> and then guess what happened? All the kids in the school, they started respecting me. Not all of them, but a lot of them stopped doing the whole ching chong thing, right? right? They stopped throwing rocks in the classrooms, and I was like, Dang, God, this is awesome. Because we had prayed with the kids. God, I pray that would you protect us. So he gives this opportunity, and then the kids stop throwing rocks. That's insane, right? And then one day, another kid comes. A couple of weeks later, John, John, come, come, come. I'm, I'm running outside, and I see on the floor this man right here of the Ustats, the man on the left, right? So at this school, there's like, Hundreds of ustas, so many people teaching the Quran, holding their beads, and doing all that. These three are the head three of all the ustas, right? And the one on the left, he is the top ustad of that whole school. So he's the, he's the boss, right? What happened? I see that man on the floor, like passed out. But he wasn't demon possessed. I didn't, I didn't feel like he was demon. He was just passed out, like on the floor. And then they were like, hey, you have a car. At that time, I was driving the missionary's pickup truck. You have a car. Can you please take him to the hospital? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. let's go, let's go. So we carry him, and we put him in the, in the pickup truck. But in Gambia, when you have a pickup truck, like 30 pe- people can go on, you know? And then so like, like all the ustats pack onto the, uh, the, the pickup truck with that ustat. And then I'm driving to the hospital, and I'm in a pickup truck with like 30 ustats. And three of them are like top ustats of the, of the school. I'm like, God, are you going to do something? <laughs> Take him to the hospital. They're all freaking out. And I said, can I go pray for him? Pray? Yeah. They're like, yeah, yeah. I go pray for him. I'm like, God, I just pray, would you heal him? Just as simple, you know. Not really like striving. Like, God, will you heal him? You know, if you want to like make yourself known here, would you do something, you know. Like, like in the name of Jesus, you know. And then, like, I look at him, and he's like, <laughs> he passes out. And then I just tell the Ustats, like, hey, I, he's, he's okay. He's going to be okay. I believe that, like, he's fine. And they're like, really? How do you know? He's okay. I, don't know. I pray for him. He's okay, right? So they're like, okay, I got to go. So I left, right? <clears throat> the next day, guess who walks into my classroom? The head Ustat walks into my classroom. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for saving me. Thank you so much for taking me to the hospital. I could have died. How can I ever repay you? Thank you so much, you know. Ever since then, guess what? I became friends with these three Ustats. In that school, there's a portion of the school where, like, all the, uh, all the mamas, they be cooking all this food and they sell it for lunch and stuff. Every time I came to the school... 
because it was in front of everybody. And they respect this man. Every time I came in front of the school, all these like people, they'd be offering me all this food. Like, here's all this food. Take this. Thank you, thank you. And I'm just like, and I became friends with them. You know what? I didn't really know too much about Quran and Islam. I studied a little bit, but guess who I learned most of my Islam from? These guys. I kept asking questions. What does this mean? What does this mean? Oh, what do you think about this? Da, 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 da. And then one day they just asked me, what do you, you believe? And I would share the gospel. Right? Isn't that amazing of how God works through just simple obedience? Like I said, lordship is an invitation. But the problem is we hold on to our little lives too tightly. Right? Amazing, right? Here's another thing that God did. Are you guys tired of these stories? This is good, right? I'm just trying to testify of what God did, you know? I got to. And so when I went there, there's a school on the compound called CTI. It stands for Canaan Technical Institute, right? At this school, it actually gained a lot of popularity. You know why? Because so they would teach accounting, uh, computer classes, and English, and uh, office work, and all these things. And they would have one class called Biblical Worldview. So what happened was the nation's president's wife, well, one of his wives, right, because they have many there, came as a student. So the, so the school got broadcasted on national television there. That's how the school got famous, right? So we went, and then the missionary comes up to me one day and says, hey, John, have you ever taught, like, Bible to, like, college students? I'm like, no. And he's like, okay, you're going to start next week. Lordship. Yes, Lord. <laughs> okay. Um, and then what happened was at this school, that one Bible class um, is the class that all the students hate the most. You know why? Because 85% of the students at the school are Muslim. Only 15% are Christian or Catholic. But everyone has to take all the classes to get the certificate. And in the past, from what I heard, all the Christian teachers, everybody hated them, purposely fell asleep in the class, would distract each other, and for a long time, there's been no Christian teacher. So he asked me to do it. And I was like, oh gosh, all right. So here's my class, right? Canaan Technical Institute. And again, I asked God, how am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to do this? So every step of the way, God gave me wisdom. First day of class, they're all looking at me like, some of them are already like falling asleep, right? So I'm like, God, what do I do? So I, I went strong, right? I went strong. I said, I said, if I go out, hello, if I go out and get a little boy and ask him, like, do you believe in Jesus? Jesus is good. That boy will verbatim tell me, Jesus is not good. Jesus is not good. I said, is that true? And then every single one of them said, yeah, that's true. Because it's true. The parents taught them that way. But if I go to that boy and I say, why? Why is Jesus not good? They said, I don't know. I said, isn't that true? And all of them said, yeah, it's true. They don't know why. I said, by the end of this class, 
this class, I'm going to teach you what Christians believe. And I'm going to teach you what Isa al-Masih taught. Isa is Jesus in the Quran. And by the end of this class, I want you to tell me that Jesus is not good, but I want you to give me a really good reason why. Because I started like that, everyone was like, all right, let's do this. So the way that I taught was like this. Christians believe this. Christians believe this. Christians believe this. Right? And one day, God gave me some wisdom because I was teaching them English also. So what I did is I typed out the story of the prodigal son. Do you guys know the story of the prodigal son? I typed it out in English, but then I took out the reference. I took out, you know, Luke chapter, it was just the words. So for a whole month, we would study the story together. They would study in English, and we would do reading comprehension together. And I said, ask them questions. What are some, like, values? I would teach them what values are. What are some values you see in this story? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's really good, like, forgiveness. Oh, it's really like, he loves him, you know? They're, I was like, they're preaching to me. <laughs> and I asked them, so, you know, um, like, do you guys like this story? They're like, it's so good. We love this story, right? And I said, do you know who wrote the story? Who? I was like, Isa al-Masih. <laughs> Jesus. Mic drop, right? And they're like, what? And I said, it's from the Bible. And they're like, wow, it's really good. And I said, this is what you call a parable. And I taught them what a parable was. I said, Jesus taught in parables and stories. You know what they said to me? How many parables does he have? Can you teach us all of them? Isn't that insane, right? So I started teaching parables. Another idea, because in Islamic culture, woman, as, woman is seen as very low in society. Right? To the point where hardcore Muslims, when they're doing their five times a day prayer, and a woman walks by them, they have to start over their prayer because their prayer has become dirty. It's like hardcore society there. And so guess what I taught? How Jesus views women and how Jesus treats women. So I taught all these stories of how Jesus treated women. And I asked every single one of them because like in my class of 25, 20 of them were women. It's a lot of women. And I asked them, do you wish you can believe this in your life? Every single one of them was like, yes, yes. And I was like, this is what Christians believe. Do you want to be another wife? Do you want a husband with many wives? You know? It's like, no, no one wants that. I started teaching them, it's your natural design. Like, it's natural, you know? And then so by the end of all the class, every single one of them, they said, I believe in Jesus, that he's good. But I don't want to follow him because I'll get kicked out of my family. You know? But here's the thing. God will move in their lives when it's time. But they heard the gospel, they understood it, and it's just amazing how that worked. Right? One more story from this school. Africans, people in Africa, they love music. They love music. So one day, 
I brought my guitar. I brought in the guitar like this. They were like, yeah, right? Teacher, teacher, play a song. And then I started playing. And then, uh, of course, I got to teach English. So I printed out lyrics to Christian songs that has a gospel in it. And then we would study and recite these uh, lyrics. So the song, one time by Phil Wickham called Because of Your Love. Because of Your Love. And then as we studied it, I started singing it. Singing it for them. They think I'm just presenting something, but I'm, I'm praying as I'm like singing. I'm praying that something will be released into the atmosphere. All of a sudden, I'm playing back of, back of the room. There's this one girl. Ah! Ah! She falls on the floor. And she's manifesting with demons. Like, she's, like, punching. She's, like, her voice is getting really deep. She's, like, oh, you know? And I'm, I just start playing. I'm, like, whoa. Right? And every single person runs out of the room. But there are two Christian students, and they stay. I go over there with the Christian students. We lay hands on her, and then we're praying. But this one's taking a long time for some reason. We're praying like crazy. We're praying like crazy. Same thing happens. She calms down, and then she wakes up. Like, what happened? The cool thing is, everyone who ran out of the room, they're looking in the window, and they saw everything happen. Right? And then the next day, they all come back to school. Guess what I taught? I taught on the power of God. I taught on the authority in the name of Jesus. I said, why did you all run out? You know what they said? Because we believe that these demons, they believe in demons, that they can transfer because they've seen it happen so many times. I knew that. I was like, but the Christians didn't run away. Why? And they were just quiet. And I told them why. Every single one of them was shaking their hands like, ah, I see. It's cool, right? One time in church, after church ended, this, this like, this like, this boy comes in looking at me like this. He's like, like this, right? After church ended, I'm like, oh gosh, what's gonna happen, right? And he said, I'm sick, and I need help, right? I'm like, okay, like what's going on? He said, he said, um, I've been struggling with this headache and this sickness for like three years, and I've paid a lot of money, and I went to the Marabos. Marabos are witch doctors. Muslim witch doctor. So I went. I spent so much money. I even traveled really far to go to the head one. But you know what the head witch doctor said? I can't take care of this one. Go to the Christians. <laughs> so they came to church. And he's like, so I'm here. Right? We pray for him. Boom. He's fine. And then he said, we preached the gospel to him. He's like, can I just be healed? Can I just be a Christian? Be healed? And after I'm healed, can I... After I'm healed, can I be a Muslim again? <laughs> right? Because they're so afraid of, like, getting abandoned by their parents. Right? And so, in Gambia, I experienced a lot of the power of God. Yeah. This, is, um, this was my class. Right? Uh, not all of them are here. I look really scary, right? <laughs> With the red face right there. But, uh, yeah, the projector bulb. Yeah. And this is Incha. <clears throat> Me and Incha. This is her, I, I read, post-demon possessed. <laughs> post. It's ironic because I look like a demon right there. Because <laughs> 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 right. 
That's Incha. And then we became friends. We became really good friends. It was hard because when I left Gambia, we all cried. All the students were crying. And, like, I was so confident that they were touched by the love of God so many times. Deep in their hearts, they know the truth. They know the truth, right? Um, some fun stuff. This is the kind of food that we ate. Oh, I can't really see. It just looks nasty there. <laughs> uh, it's like vegetables, rice, and um, a chicken, right? And it's really cool because in the Gambian culture, it comes out in a ginormous bowl and it, with a lid on it. And you sit eight to ten people around it. And you have to be careful where you, where you sit. You know why? Because in the bowl, there's a bowl of rice. And on the rice, there's a meat, there's vegetables, and there's like a cassava, like a potato kind of thing. And they're scattered everywhere. And then when you sit, you have to imagine invisible like pizza lines, right? And you can't cross other lines. It's only your space, all right? And then when they lift up the thing, like whatever's there in front of you, guess what? You're responsible to distribute to everyone. So if I have the chicken in front of me, it's not good news because I'm responsible to break it apart and give it to everyone, right? And I'm not allowed to, like, go across. It's really cool, you know, like, very cultural, right? But one of the riskiest things I did was um, <coughs> I ate this, right? It's called a jungle rat, right? Jungle rat. And, and the thing is, one day, uh, the orphan kids, orphanage kids came up to me. They're like, John, all day, all day we spent, we found one for you. Boom! And then they're hanging it in my face, and it's like this big jungle rat. I've never seen a rat so big in my life. And I'm freaking out. And then the older brothers, they come to me and say, these kids, they spent like hours and hours and hours in the jungle trying to like hunt for this as a gift to you. And I'm like, oh, man, thank you so much. Thank you so much. So they cook it. They cook it. They chop it up. They uh, fry it with some onions, and I eat it. And it's pretty good. It tastes pretty good. And I, t- I told them, oh, it's really good. Thank you so much. Really good. Because I expressed how good it was, they went five days in a row. So I ate rat five days in a row. All right? There it is. All right? There's a head. <laughs> yeah. How many of you guys would love to try it? Would I at least try it? Huh? Good? Um, so <clears throat> there's one more story I want to share with you, and it's my favorite of all, all stories, favorite of all stories. But right now I, I need you guys to stand up real quick, stand up real quick. And I'll get, let me give you guys a minute or two to kind of just like massage the person next to you, wake them up. Right. <laughs> I can see that some of you guys are getting tired, but seriously, this is my favorite story. That I, like the, one of the most amazing things that happened in my life, right? And if there's one thing that I want you to get out of, uh, actually two things out of all this sharing, is one is this. Think about it, all right? Is Jesus just your Savior or is he your Lord? And Lordship is an invitation, right? Second thing I want you guys to remember, second point is this. Um, relational ministry is Jesus' ministry. Right. Turn to your neighbor and say, relational ministry is Jesus' ministry. Okay. What I mean by this is, I, have, I don't have enough time to share 
all these stories I have, but only one of the things that God told me was this: just be relational, be present, seek relationships, seek community. So all I did was get to know people, and then God started doing all these crazy, amazing things. Right? I'm gonna share one of them. So <clears throat> during my time there, I met a brother by the name of Fadil, Fadil Cise, right? And I became really good friends with him. And I started uh, living at his house for a little bit and getting to know his wife and then his child, doing life together. And Fadil's story is crazy. You know why? Because he used to be a hardcore ustad, Quranic teacher, right? And that he was given a special assignment to go study the Bible. You know why? Just to argue with the Christians and to break them down. So he said, yeah, I'm going to do that. But the problem is, he started studying the Bible, and then he came to, he came to be a follower of Jesus. <laughs> no missionary, nobody let him through. He started reading the Bible, he started encountering God. And he started going back and, the, back and forth, back and forth, Quran and the Bible. And he was like, oh my gosh, like, I cannot deny this. Jesus is Lord. So he became a Christian, <laughs> abandoned by his family, and he started to follow Christ. Right? And then he became so zealous for uh, to set Muslim brothers and sisters, you know, share the gospel with them, that he became a missionary to his own country, right? Now, <clears throat> check this out. In Gambia, um, this is Gambia right here, right? If you look at this map, if you look at this map, um, this is a capital right here. It's called Banjul. I stayed right here, Brikama. And so why I drew that line is when you to the left of this line is actually quote unquote more developed, right? The right of that line is like bush bush. It's like ghetto, like no electricity whatsoever, right? And so what Fadil was saying to me, he was crying one day, and I said, Fadil, like what's wrong? He's like, my heart is so heavy, my heart is so burdened for my people, for my people. I was like. Oh, like, I was just, like, there with him. And he explained to me, John, <clears throat> why is it that to the left of this line, there are more than 200 churches? But to the right of that line, there's only, like, three that I know. Right? My heart is so broken for my country because everyone wants to say, stay where there's comfortable. Even the Christians. Why are we just sitting here and meeting together just as Christians when there's so many of my people that don't know Jesus yet? And he started crying. And I started crying because I was just so challenged by that. Right? And you know what? I realized I was talking to the missionaries I was living with. They said, even mission bases and missionaries, there's actually like more than a hundred, more than a hundred to the left of the line. And I asked them, what about to the right of the line? And they said, only like five. Right? Fadil knows this. He's not dumb. But let me ask you a question. If you, will, if you were Fadil, what would you have said about missionaries? What would you have said about missionaries? Because if I was Fadil, you know what I would have thought? These missionaries, they're just here. They're just living rich. They're not going to where it's uncomfortable. They're just staying where it's comfortable. You know, like very critical. 
But you know what Fadil told me one day? And I just, I was so humbled. He said this. He said, they have successfully done their God-given job. Christianity is here and leaders are raised. They discipled us and now it's our turn. It's our time. It's our assignment. He said this. Why should I blame the missionaries? They're the ones who brought the gospel here. I don't care the, the way I don't care the way that they're living. They brought the gospel. The Christianity exists in, in this country because of the missionaries. I praise God for them. But to the right of the line, that's our job. We need to reach our own people. And I was like, wow, this man is amazing. This man is amazing. So guess what he did? God spoke to him and God said, I want you to start a mission organization. Not started by any foreigner, but started by just a Gambian. So he started a mission organization and he named it this, Indigenous Mission. Indigenous Mission. And he made this logo, right? And what he did, he, he gathered many people like him. Fadil is just one of many. He gathered like 10 people like him, and they would pray night and day, night and day for their nation. And they, you know what they would do? They would go on short-term mission, tri mission trips all around Gambia, sharing the Jesus film, sharing the, sharing the gospel, introducing Christ to where Christ has never been heard before. And I got the honor and privilege to travel with them. I didn't have much to offer. I had so much to learn from them. I was so humbled by them that whenever I traveled with them, like, I didn't know what to do. I was just, like, in tears most of the time. So here's a picture of um, me and the IM leaders. I'm on the right. And uh, I, honestly, I, I just went to be a student, right? Okay? So one day, Fadil prayed, God, give us land. It's hard for Christians to get land. Give us land. The following week, a missionary came and said, God told me to give you some land. So here's some land. The land's name is Sotokoi. Everyone say Sotokoi. Right? So he got this land, <coughs> huge piece of land. And then, and then what? And then you know what he started to do? He started to get his hands blistered. Him and the, all 10 of the, of the IM people and even their families, they started farming peanuts. In the blazing sun. I would go out to help them. I could only last like 30 minutes. So hard. My spoiled hands are so hard. Right? But they toiled day and night. Being faithful in the small things. Why? They want to sell these peanuts. Just to raise money. Because they want to build a mission school. To train local Christians. To be missionaries to their own countries. And all of West Africa. They're dreaming big here. All day. Months and months, they're just picking peanuts, right? And so this is the vision. Oh, actually, this is their vision for the school. They want to teach biblical foundations, discipleship, basics of Quran, Jesus in the Quran, practical training, like all this stuff. I don't have time to get into right now. But it's about to get crazy. It's about to get crazy. One day, I was over at another missionary friend's house. We're having dinner. Oh, we're having lunch. And then, all of a sudden, this Chinese man, I've never met before, sticks his head into the house door. He's like, hello, my name is Mr. Huang, right? He's like 40 years old. My name, I'm, and I'm just like, hi, you know? 
And then he's like, would you like to go crabbing to catch, to catch crabs? I'm like, dang, so, so forward, right? I'm like, right? But I'm like, hey, why don't you come in? <laughs> he's like, oh, okay. So he's sitting there. And then like, he's sitting there. And then um, he's like, yeah, my name is Mr. Huang. I've been here for many years as a businessman. Yeah, and I, you just want to go crabbing? I just saw that you were Asian, so I don't, you know? <laughs> I was like, uh, and I felt like, I felt the Holy, Holy Spirit saying like, you know, relational ministry, just get to know him. So I went crabbing with him, me and my other missionary friend. We went crabbing for like three hours, and it was so fun catching crab, right? And then as we were catching crab, we brought it back home, we cooked it, and we were eating it. That night, we talked for like five hours. Sharing each other's stories. Hola, hola, right? And this man, he's not a Christian. He started sharing how his journey in Africa was so difficult because as a businessman, he, um, so many people would cheat him and rob his money, right? Real quick. Let me show you uh, Mr. Huang real quick. You can't really see. Chinese man right there, right? So he said, let's catch some crabs. So we began to go and catch some crabs. But let me tell you a little about a little bit about Mr. Huang. Boom. This is what he did. He's been there 15 years. He started selling containers and containers of candles. Right? And then he started selling this uh, teapots. Right? And then he started selling lumber, doing lumber business. This guy's a millionaire, multimillionaire in Gambia. Some random Chinese multimillionaire sticks his head in and says, you want to catch some crabs? I, I still think about it this day. I'm like, what the heck? Well, how did that happen? And then he shares one day he got a disease. So he had to go back to China. And then his wife, who, who he married in China, he took him to an underground church in China. And they prayed for him, and then he got healed. Doctors couldn't do anything, but he got healed at the underground church getting prayed for. And then he started crying. And then he became a Christian. But he fell away from the Lord because money. He came back to Gambia, started to do business, and he got very lonely. And by that time, he sticks his head in, right, to the door, right? And then now what he does, right, is he sells tractors, does wells, and fences for farming. But guess what? Me and my, my boy Fadil and our team of like 12, you know what we're praying? God, would you provide for this land? How long are we going to keep doing peanuts? God, we want to grow bigger things to build more money, to better business for your kingdom. And they're praying day and night for provision. And then for me, I'm just, a, I'm just John. I randomly meet this Chinese guy, and I find out he's a multimillionaire that sells all these things. So I disciple this Chinese man for a little bit. And he comes to know, he, he recommits his life to the Lord again. And you know what he says? You know what? I realized, John, that, I realized, John, that God is good. He's done a lot for me. But you know what, John? Like, you're good. You're a good Christian. You know how to preach. You're a missionary. You do these things. But me, I cannot preach. I cannot teach. I cannot uh, do worship, do any things. Like, what can I, all I know is business. What can I do for God? <laughs> And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, what would you guys think? 
connect the dots, right? But you know what happened? The Holy Spirit, like, started speaking to me in my heart. He said, this man's been used too many times. Build a friendship with him. That's what he needs. So I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. So for the next couple months, we just hung out every day, read the Bible together, went to the beach together, I hung out with his family. We became really good friends, and then guess what happened? Trust was formed. And then he would share with me how like, he struggled with depression because of loneliness. He's so thankful that I was there with him. Relationships. And then what happened? One day he's like, John, he was really growing in the Lord. John, I really want to do something for the Lord. And I felt like I saw a green light from God. Okay, now you can share. Hey, Mr. Huang, there's these people I work with. They're Gambian, you know, missionaries. They've been praying day and night. But da 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 right? I share the story about I am. And they're like, he's like, let me meet Fadil right now. So I call Fadil. I call Mr. Huang. We all meet. We have like a five-hour dinner. Talk together, right? And then and Fadil, Fadil, he says, I want to build you a well. I want to give you fencing around that place. I want to do this, this, and this. And he said, Fadil, can you do me a favor? My company, we got a new product, but we need land to uh, test it on. Can we test it on your land? You know what it was? It was a full irrigation system worth thousands and thousands of dollars. Fadil, can we test this on your land? Fadil falls to the floor. He's weeping. Thank you, God. Jehovah Jireh. Like, thank you so much, God. They're all crying. And Mr. Huang's like, this is, it feels so good to be able to give for God's kingdom. And I told him, like, it's not just worship. It's not, it's not, just, it's not just preaching and teaching that, that God likes you. God likes you businessmen like you. Right? And so now, here. There's a picture of Fadil, right? Being faithful in the small things. Peanuts, toiling day and night under the sun. Doing it with the Lord. Praying day and night. And then boom, all this happens. For me, I thank God for crabs. You know? Because God moved through crabs. According to my PowerPoint slides, I'm only halfway done, but I'm going to stop here, which means I have a lot of stories, a lot of stories. And that's my point tonight, guys, all right? I don't want you guys to remember just the stories I'm sharing today. I want you guys to remember the God, the author of these stories, God himself. God's eyes are looking to and fro. God's eyes are looking left and right for men and women of God who are fully submitted to Him. God's looking for men and women of God who will commit their lives to holiness and stop asking God to bless our plans. God's looking for people that will call Him Lord. Lord. Anytime. Anything, anywhere. He's saying, come and adventure with me. And that adventure began when I was a sophomore year in college. I'm here in Korea because it's part of the adventure. I have a lot of stories to share about Korea too. Let me tell you what. 
I'm so excited for what's going to happen in my future. I'm not worrying at all. Because I've tasted and seen what it looks like when you joyfully submit your life to the Lord. All of it. All of it. And you'll see what God can do with your life. Amen? And lastly, before I close in prayer, is this. First was lordship. Everyone say lordship. Consider it. All right? Second is this. God loves to move through relational ministry. Relational ministry. You guys are here in college. And let me tell you something. The devil will use isolation to tuck you away from experiencing life. Whether it's here in Emmaus or at church or even just anybody on campus, seek relational ministry. And in order for effective relational ministry to work, you know what has to take place? Your character. Your character. You need to abandon selfishness. Grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Ask yourself, am I becoming more like Christ? Because more Christ-like you are in character, the more things will start flowing when it comes to relational ministry. But the more selfish you are, no one wants to be around selfish people. Right? Do you? <laughs> no. And God will move through that. And you, you also will become a storyteller. A storyteller. Amen? Let's pray. God, um, I thank you for giving me stories to share. And I know that it's not about John Park, but it's about you, your heart, your glory. Father, I just pray for every single brother and sister in this room right now. I pray for adventure. I pray for joy. I pray against fear of the future. I pray against fear of the future. But I pray for trust in you, God. I pray that they may see you rightly, God. I pray that every single person in here may look at you, God, and not see a taskmaster, but may see a good father that wants to journey with them, Lord. Lord, I just pray that in this semester, deep in our hearts, would you, would you do a surgery in our hearts? Will you help us to become more like you, Jesus, in our character? And I pray that in our relationships, would you move, Holy Spirit, in our relationships? We look forward to sharing stories, God, that may bring you glory. Thank you, Father. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.